And that is going to be the topic of our conversation today with Todd Francis from Shasta Ventures. I have known Todd for a long, long time, so it's a great pleasure to have you here, Todd. One of the first, actually, consumer perspective um, person in the, in the history of venture capital. There were very few. When we started the, this whole internet industry, the dot-com bubble and everything, it was techies, you know, dabbling in consumer. And Todd was a, was a refreshing exception. And uh, since then, of course, Todd has had a successful career in uh, venture capital. And he started at Trinity Ventures and since then went on to uh, found Shafter Ventures with a couple of other quite uh, senior people in the industry. So, Todd, welcome. Well, thanks for having me. I think the best question to start us out with would be, what do you see has happened to the e-commerce business since the 90s? Yeah, so if I could uh, maybe even go back a bit further and provide perspective on retail in general and consumer commerce, sure. because I think as an entrepreneur, it would be easy to sit there and think, oh, is it over? You know, like, has everything been done? Has every category been covered already? And I think it's important that entrepreneurs realize consumers are always ready for a new and better offering. If you go back even in the early days of retail, we had the shoe store, and we had the, you know, the, the shirt store, and we had the dress store. We had all these specialty stores. Then we saw the innovation of uh, department stores. Then we saw the innovation of low-priced, uh, you know, the Walmarts and Kmarts of the world. And then, interestingly, we saw specialty stores come back with an interesting twist, with more knowledge about customers and more knowledge about the products they sold, like a pottery barn, for example, or kitchen stores. And so we see these cycles even in the mall. And so the, I always like to use the analogy of the mall because the mall is always ready for something new. Consumers are always interested in a new concept. So let's look at e-commerce. In the mid to late 90s when the Internet got going, there weren't a lot of people online, but those who were uh, benefited from the early plays. The early plays were, for example, we were involved with Blue Nile, and then you saw, which is, and basically the play there was let's, bring in a set of products that are hard to access, bring them all into one place, offer them in one site, kind of a vertical play at a decent price. So we saw plays like Blue Nile and Amazon and then specialty stores like Backcountry.com start to evolve. And they were mostly selling, at the time, other people's goods. So it was typically we're assembling an assortment of manufacturer's goods and bringing them to the consumer. And so that was the first wave. And that wave was a really powerful wave because for the first time, if you lived in a rural area, you could access products through, the, through UPS and FedEx. So, so it's really powerful. I don't think we should look back on 1.0 as, wow, what a joke. I think we should look back on it as that was you know, monumental in providing access to goods worldwide and, um, and at a better price. But things have changed a lot, right? Just like in the malls, we saw aggregation of products and pricing variances. We're seeing that online. So Amazon then became, instead of just books, they became the everything store. They became the Walmart, if you will, online. And uh, so that's been interesting. And they've been able to win through price and knowledge about the customer and just so many advantages. So that was kind of moving into the next generation of just doing 1.0 better. But now we're seeing really interesting and exciting evolution with the advantages of, of following customer interests, of social, connecting with your friends and your social networks, and then also a very exciting new 
trend, which is vertically integrated direct to the consumer brand, where you're not just selling other people's goods, right? You're, there's a number of players like Bonobos uh, that are, and Warby Parker, that are creating brands direct to the consumer and cutting out the middlemen and providing better price and assortment. So I think the overall view on what's going on in commerce is change. And change is getting, change is allowing for better experiences and, and it's always going to be changing. It's always going to be getting better. So I'm, you know, we remain very optimistic about the category. So one of the things that uh, I'd like to point out, you know, we have, we work with people that are very early stage, right? People who are just getting started and, and uh, it's not always um, viable to start with your own products. So sometimes, and this is where the parallel with the retail business, the department store retail business comes in, every department store, if you look at the P&Ls of department stores, a Macy's or a Saks or Bloomingdale's, they sell other people's brands, yep. and then in the basics categories, they sell their own brands. So you yep. will see the Saks Fifth Avenue Cashmere, that's an incredibly profitable line. I have been in this business, obviously, so I know this inside out. Yep. <laughs> and and you know th this is this is how a lot of people start acquiring customers, building a relationship with customers, and then build their own brand. And on the internet, there's a company that's actually doing a really good job of this. That's Nastigal. Yeah. Sophia Amorosa started as an eBay seller, and she was selling vintage, kind of very. Um, Sassy vintage clothing, I would say, is the is the brand uh, positioning, and she started doing that on eBay. Then she built her own e-commerce store with other people's merchandise, and now she's doing her own brand, and it's a hundred million dollar plus business. Now it's venture funded. It did not start off being venture funded. It was a bootstrap business up to quite a while, uh, quite a size actually, be, before they got venture funding. So, so what um, when you are looking at, um, you know consumer e-commerce brand opportunities, brand venture-scale brand-building opportunities, what trends are you seeing in, in, this, uh, in this respect? Like, how are people getting off the ground? Is this dynamic playing out in the deal flow that you are seeing of people who are trying to really scale their brands but, but are starting with something that is a multi-store and then going on to building their own brands? Yeah, it's hard to put everything in one bucket. Uh, the reason why is the example you just provided is actually a, a pretty classic example of a lot of consumer businesses. If someone doing something they're passionate about, they happen to hit a, a gold mine or they happen to hit a cord with consumers and then they start expanding and going out. I don't think, I've never talked to her, I don't think she started out saying, I'm going to build a venture back business so it's first no. time to sell eBay. Not so, at all. Yeah, so my point is for us to see plans coming in, we aren't typically going to see someone saying, I'm going to first start on eBay and then expand. But I just want to point out, I think those are the most authentic origins of great consumer businesses, which are people do something really, really well for a, for a smaller group of consumers, and they nail it, and then they build the trust, and then they can expand beyond that. I actually feel that is a great way to build a consumer business versus what you might want to call the business plan version, which is, okay, we're going to do X, Y, and Z, and you may not be authentic or, or great or genuine at anything, and consumers want that. They want, they want that kind of, you know, excellence from their providers. So I do think it's a great path. Are a lot of entrepreneurs 
you know, starting that way, I think it's something people should really think hard about. I, I like it when, in other words, I think we see more of the grand business plan idea from entrepreneurs, and it may be better, and we like it when entrepreneurs say, you know what, we're just going to take this one pinpoint, and we're going to go after this one set of customers, and we're going to nail it, and if we nail it, then we get the license to do some other things. And those tend to be the, the really great authentic brands that, that build over time. And I think if you look at a lot of the businesses today, they're doing well. They started with those origins. So when you look at investment opportunities in this specific area where somebody is trying to build a branded e-commerce business, and um, if they come the first route where they have already been in business, they have some level of traction and and they have some understanding of their customer base, what's their positioning, and, and why that positioning works, that's actually a kind of more validated business. And, and you can, yeah. my question there would be, what would be the criteria you would apply to gauge whether that is going to be venture scale or not? And then the follow-on question to that would be, when you're looking at these grand business plans where there isn't a lot of that traction. So if someone comes to you with a, you know, $5 million business, that's an easier process of checking whether this is going to be venture scale or not, but somebody comes a lot earlier, maybe with a couple of hundred thousand, right. but with a grand business plan, what criteria do you apply? So, so what we're trying to do is provide our audience a perspective sure. into how a venture capitalist looks at their idea. So I think the first point is, why do they need any progress at all? Shouldn't a venture firm be willing to, to back something at the, at the origin. So let's talk about that first, and I'll get to your two stages. Uh, the reason we like to see a little bit of progress is multifold. One is consumer businesses are really hard to predict, and it's the execution of the business that allows you to see if that business may have a, have a shot. And so that's point one. Second, it's really, as, as we all know and we read, it's inexpensive to get a site up and running. It's not that challenging and capital intensive to start moving your business to the customer cycle. So we like to see entrepreneurs who are scrappy enough and, and can pull that off because it, it might only take a couple hundred thousand dollars of friends and family funding to get there. So we like to see that initiative and that effort. And then we really like to see what they've learned. So what I like to say is we like to see a full cycle of customer experiences. It doesn't need to be a $5 million business and it doesn't need to be 100,000 people. But have, you know, we like to see a customer say, I have a passion for this category, I have a vision for this category, I have sold it to this set of people, I've watched them use it, and now here's what I think the business is. That's what I think for a Series A investor or large seed, you know, it's getting a little fuzzy these days, uh, but the larger round, that's what people resonate to, which is we had an idea, we put it together, we sourced it, we sold it, We've evaluated it. We've watched it, hopefully, they've watched it a number of cycles, and now here's where we're going with it. And so what do we look for? We look for that vision and that passion more than anything else. Then as far as metrics, yeah, more metrics are better, right? Uh, if you're doing a million a month in gross sales, that's better than, you know, 50,000. So, but it's not as if there's a minimum at our firm. By the way, a lot of firms do have minimums. So literally say, if you're not doing 10 million in revenue, we don't want to talk to you. At our firm and most Series A and early stage firms, it's a combination of the entrepreneur and the vision and the passion with the progress to date and the execution. Uh, and so it's, you know, there's going to be trade-offs. We'll back people we know or people we respect with nothing. 
because we, we've already seen them do it before. If we don't know the people and they're new to the category, we might want to see, see a little more progress, a little more uh, experience. So I'd say general rule of thumb uh, for early stage investors, if you're showing you know, fifty dollars to $100,000 a month in revenue, that's, you're starting to get in the game of, hey, we're doing this. You know, we're in the business. When you hit a million dollars a month in revenue, then you start to become attractive to later, I don't mean later stage, but like the, the bigger funds or a bigger fundraise. Uh, but I want to point out a lot of these companies are getting funded at very early stages based on great vision and, and um, early execution. The question that uh, I want to double click down on based on everything you said, we got the stage issue uh, discussed at this point, thrashed out. Where, you know, in the grand spectrum of possibilities, where, which markets, which segments do you see uh, venture scale brand opportunities in? Oh, I hate to dodge this question, but my dodge I think is going to be important. Um, I think it's actually hard to sit here and say this category and not that category because it's about how the entrepreneur sees the execution, how they provide great value to the customer. And I'll give you an example. I think it would have been hard to predict ahead of time that ordering a black car on your iPhone would be a big category, right? Mm -hmm. But the way that that Uber executed and then, and by the way, that is an example of choosing a smaller category first and then expanding. But the way that they had a maniacal focus on the customer around that first step allowed them to go to the second step and now we're thinking about it as changing transportation. But it would have been hard in advance to say, wow, let's start a way to order limos, right? So it's that entrepreneur vision and execution that was so great and we've seen that in so many other categories. I actually feel most categories are going to go through tremendous evolution with mobile. So I'd, I'd rather lay, put an overlay on that, which is how can mobile change a category? So how can knowing where a customer location is, being able to understand location and past consumer habits affect a category, and then how can new delivery systems change that category? So I'd, I'd say every category is up for grabs in that uh, because we're still at the very early stages of of quick delivery, we're at the early stages of geo information to allow retailers and, and uh, commerce providers uh, to know how to service. So as far as, I th again, I think every category could be open and uh, I'll tell you the things we don't like, the things we um, maybe don't like is a wrong, too strong a word, we're more hesitant on is we're hesitant on anything that's playing in Amazon's category. And the reason for that is if you're selling other people's goods, so my definition of Amazon is you sell other people, other manufacturers' goods at a low price. It's hard to out Amazon Amazon. It's hard to out Walmart Walmart, right? So between Amazon and Walmart, depending upon which bucket you're in of a customer, they're doing a hell of a good job sourcing products worldwide and moving them to customers very efficiently. So I wouldn't want to go and just say, let's do hardware.com, right? Because I think that's really well done today. But can you do hardware with a completely different twist, immediate delivery to people on job sites? Can you do it with you know, knowledge of other products that they've already bought and be anticipating the needs of a, uh, of, a, uh, of a customer? By the way, we're not looking at hardware and we're not in hardware. I'm just saying, can you do it very, very differently for a precise customer base and nail it better than someone who just offers a wide range of products at a low price, then that's where the opportunities start to get created. Then you can start to build a brand. Then you can build a defensible business because you've got to realize anybody who's thinking about this business has to think about 
Amazon, Walmart, eBay, these are great companies doing a great job in what they do. How can you do something that's different and better? So, so there are a couple of uh, threads in that. I think uh, one of the case studies we have in the book is blinds.com. Okay. These guys are a very successful top uh, 100 internet retailer, many hundred millions of revenues. You know, I've known this guy for a long, long time. And uh, he has sold the business to Home Depot. So they, they not only nailed the category that is that yeah. that turned out to be quite big, they were able to exit the business to a sizable retailer. So I think that's another path that is happening right now is a lot of the brick-and-mortar retailers are starting to acquire um, you know, successful brands in categories. So that's, uh, that's one example. And the other thought I have listening to you, uh, Todd, is that, um, you know, Amazon, Walmart are very good at commodity products. If you are looking at products that have more differentiation, more of a user experience value or a brand experience value, there's more opportunity to create yeah, a brand experience, which Amazon cannot create. Yeah, and by the way, on your blinds example, I think that's, I haven't used the site myself personally, but my guess is they do blinds better than anyone else, right? Uh, Amazon and Home Depot carries, you know, this much in blinds, blinds carries this much and does such a better job. That's an example of taking a category and just anticipating the customer needs, delivering on their needs better than anyone else, and my guess is they ship it faster and they, it comes you know, better package and uh, and the and all the measurement stuff is great. So, yeah, I think that and diapers did that as well, and Zappos did it. So there's definitely ways to pick off these categories, but just make sure you're doing something special in those categories. Make sure right. you're doing it. That's the whole, whole premise of specialty retail. A specialty yeah. retail focuses on a specific category and really knocks the ball out of the park in that particular category. That's how you build specialty retail businesses. Yeah. And, and by the way, there is a there is specialty retail, the equivalent of specialty retail niche e-commerce happening at a grand scale, right? Each of these e-commerce platform vendors have hundreds of uh, thousands of merchants selling. Like Shopify has 200,000 merchants, big commerce, which focuses on larger businesses, have 55,000 merchants. So there, there are like a good half a million merchants doing niche e-commerce out there yeah. very a lot of them very successfully. So there are, there's a, you know, there's a lot of companies out there that have proved out a category up to a point. They may not be at venture scale, but there's a lot of companies out there that have been able to carve out a niche by doing something somehow. Yeah, can we just touch on that for a second? I don't think a lot of, for your audience, you don't need to be venture-backed. Venture-backed it doesn't need to be the signal of, of success. There's a lot of great businesses direct to the consumer that you can build and you can own and can be wonderful businesses. And so when you move into the venture-backed model, it, it, all of a sudden there's all sorts of new expectations for outcome and scale and whatnot. But you can build a niche business, niche not being negative, niche being specialty, um, business that can perform extremely well and you can cash flow it. So I just, I think it's always good to point out there's lots of options for entrepreneurs. They don't all have to, you know, hit venture uh, requirements. So the philosophy of the 1M1M one one program, as you know, is that we support yeah. the bootstrap businesses and that's really what's differentiated about us as a, you know, incubation program. In fact, the book is full of these specialty retail companies that are working on niches. There's a guy who, what you want, this is a another eBay seller 
who went to $6 million with just himself. Wow. Selling Panera watches, luxury watches, and then now they're $20 million a year. That's awesome. Well, I think there's lots of opportunities like that out there. Yeah, so it's it's really cool what's um, the 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 level of opportunities, the diversity of opportunities, the extent of opportunities is very interesting in e-commerce right now. It's very robust because the consumer has really um, matured. There's you know very high velocity transactions going on in e-commerce. Um, I want to. Uh, take your mobile discussion a little bit further um, and, and ask you a couple of questions there. So there's the Uber kinds of businesses, right? Uber is, it, it's kind of, you are in a mobile mode. When you want to get a taxi, you right. are in a mobile mode. So there is a, Uber slides into people's natural instincts of buying a taxi experience, taxi ride experience. Yeah. Uh, but not all of e-commerce has that characteristic. So I'm, this is a question that I've been kind of noodling in my head. I haven't really discussed with anybody, so this is a good opportunity to kind of kick it around okay. a bit. Um, so, for example, if I'm actually – today fashion is a big category, and I believe very, very high potential category because it's finally turning and moving to online. Um, if I want to do fashion shopping, honestly, I am – absolutely not interested in doing it on my mobile. I want it on my cinema display. I want to have the full, right. as much information as possible, have as much of a feel for the fabric, for, I mean, everything, basically. So, you know, fashion is a gigantic category, and I think it will produce a lot of online brands in, in due course. And, and there's actually, you know, people in London who are thinking that, oh, we want to be the online fashion capital of the world. People in New York are thinking the same. People in San Francisco are thinking the same. Right. There's a lot of, you know, people wanting to take a claim to that, um, you know, positioning. But what are, what are the drivers of mobile e-commerce? What categories are, are you seeing that are particularly interesting for mobile e-commerce? Yeah. So I, I may surprise you by taking on fashion. Uh, I, so think about not only how you want to see it, but when you're able to see it. So mobile will affect fashion because you're going to have downtime on a bus or in a line or something like that, and you, fashion is often entertainment, right? Shopping is a, a lot of entertainment. And so what do you do when you have downtime? You want to be entertained, distracted, and mobile will have a big impact. We actually have real data on this. We're in a company called Threadflip. It's, a, it's where women can you know, sell clothes out of their own closets to, to a marketplace. And when we launched the new mobile platform, it just overtook all other platforms. I mean, it took over the web dramatically. It's the web, uh, the mobile experience is by far most productive experience and most effective and efficient and most views and everything. And you think, well, why is that? And that's because people have more time often when they're, they have more downtime when they're mobile, when they're waiting, when they're doing things. And plus, it's just the world we live in. So I actually, based on that experience, taking on fashion, which I agree with you, is the hardest test for mobile, I think everything goes mobile. It's hard to imagine, you know, things not going mobile, especially if you consider an iPad or these larger, right, you know, the iPhone 6 Plus now is mobile. That, you can see beautiful stuff there. So I actually think, Entrepreneurs should, should look at their business and say, how is mobile going to affect my category? Let's flip it around and say, how can I bring mobile and bring a better and improved experience that 
versus anyone else because I think it will, will change absolutely every category and uh, the web will be longer term will turn out to be more of a research site, you know, kind of a harder core research experience and mobile is going to be where you're doing stuff. You're, you're seeing and I think your, your transactions. The point that you made about the phone becoming larger is actually the real driver. Oh, it's really important, yeah. Very important yeah. driver because that makes visual merchandising viable because in this yeah. tiny phones, visual merchandising is not very compelling, but in the larger phones with a better display quality visual merchandising is viable. Yeah, we're, on Threadflip, they're selling $1,000 handbags and up, you know, with, with mobile flips because people, okay, this is Prada, this is beautiful, this is what I was looking for. Oh, there's another piece. I can, I better get it now. It may not be there when I get home, right? So that's the other value of mobile, which is buy now. And uh, so I think it is going to affect all the categories. I've really come around on this over the years, uh, especially the new form factors and beautiful screens, uh, to, really, to think that it, it's, this is where we're going to be transacting. All right. We have uh, just about three minutes of this segment left. I want to ask you to give advice to our audience on where are some opportunities to look at? Um, yeah. Besides the trends, there's mobile, there's, right. you know, um, brand and so forth. So if you can just provide a bit more concrete pointers, that would be great. Yeah, okay. I'm going to uh, take the approach of uh, look around you for the opportunity. The, the, what I mean by that, it's probably something you're already familiar with because if you're going to win in a consumer business, you need to have a passion and a knowledge base in that category that's better and deeper than anybody else. Maybe not like classroom better, but you have a, a, an instinct on how it can be improved. And it's probably because you're experiencing either a pain or a joy in that category. I know people who start bicycle tube companies and are doing really well. It's not venture back, but it's a, it's a really good business. They needed bicycle tubes. I'm using this because it's such a kind of unusual example. And they realized a lot of other people needed them. And, and, and they're really hard to find, really good tires and tubes, and you build these out like that. So my point is you may find, my advice is find something that you see a gap in, something where you believe it can be improved, and then start to do it. Don't sit around and wait and write ten, you know, lots of different business plans. Just start you know, securing products, selling products, learning from your customer. And if through that iterative cycle, you're going to learn if there's a need there or not and what people resonate to or not. And you've got to be patient because these companies take time. You know, there are very few overnight successes in consumer businesses. They're usually about five years or ten years older than you think. And so have patience. Find a category you believe strongly in. Make sure there's a business model in there. I mean, the thing I hate to see is when people do well in something and there's, no, there's not any margin. So make sure there's a margin in the transaction. So if you get to high volume, you've got a good business. And so that's what we think about. And then, and then is that customer base desirable? So if you secure the trust of that customer, is there an opportunity to go other places with them? So if you sell the first thing to them, can you sell others? So we look at how often do they purchase? What's the purchase cycle in that category? So if you start to think about that when you're looking at businesses, uh, I think that will help guide uh, your audience towards help filter businesses that might be more attractive than not. You know, again, something you can execute better than anybody else. If you do it, there's a business model. If you do it, there's a there's a category. And if you do it, you can sell it up to them. That's right, sir. And uh, just do it and, and learn and then figure it out. Right. 
Thank you for being with us, Todd. It was a pleasure having you. Thanks a lot. Good luck.